0: Okay. um, Good morning, everyone. Welcome to CCIC South Valley. My name is Daniel. Um, I had a kid recently. His name is Toby. Really excited about that. Um, I sound excited, don't I? (laughs) Uh, Let me go ahead and read our passage for today. Um, No slides today, so please follow along in your Bible. Or on your phone. Uh, This is from Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. Okay? Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you that you are present here. Um, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us, that you lead us, Um, but especially that you make real to us the truth about our adoption. Um, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do that today in each of our hearts, and this would um, just give us incredible joy, um, the incredible joy that comes from experiencing truly um, your uh, being adopted into your family and having you, God, as a heavenly father. Um, I Pray that you would uh, help me to be faithful to your word and you would make your word real to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we've been talking through, um, our sermon series has been called God Puts or Sets the Lonely in Homes. And that's from Psalm 68, verses five through six. We talked about how in the whole world, actually, um, even before the pandemic, we have been facing sort of like a loneliness epidemic. And, uh, you know, the there have been terrible tragedies in the last few weeks, terrible shootings. And uh, what's really, like, heartbreaking to me and sad about, you know, school shootings and things like that. I mean, now that I'm a, a parent, like, I can't even imagine. I can't, I have no words for it. Um, but one thing that you find in common in many of these school shootings—I'm not sure about every single one—but honestly, all of the ones I've heard about, Columbine, um, all the different school shootings, uh, the, the people com- doing the shootings have been lonely, and they've been isolated. They've been bullied. They've been—they've they just not have—they have not had the experience of being loved by people around them. And as a result, they've taken it out in these horrific ways on students around them, on people around them. And I would just suggest that uh, this is something that is so important to address, um, our deep loneliness. And those are extreme examples, but I think if we think about our own lives, we all know what it's like to feel alone. We all know what it's, what it's like to be in a situation where you feel like people don't understand you. Um, you have no companionship or people around you to support you. You have no security net. And then the claim that we've been making, which I think is very, very strange, is that God meets our loneliness first by welcoming us into the life of the Trinity, And this is a very strange claim. So for all of you youth and for anyone who might be a little bit like newer to Christianity, um, we're going to be talking about something that's very strange today. And hopefully I can adequately communicate this because we're going to be talking about um, a strange kind of like subjective emotional experience that comes from our relationship with God. The claim that the Bible makes about Christians is that Christians are people who have their inner life transformed by their relationship with God. Now, I don't know if preachers typically put it this way, but I want to suggest to you that's a very strange claim to make. So we live in 2022, and we are claiming, even what we just did, we, like, if, <laughs> we stand together in a room and we sing to a being that is invisible. And not only that, what I'm claiming is not only is God invisible, but what's so incredible is I, Daniel, have, feel like I have a real, intimate, close relationship with God, my Father. That's very strange, isn't it? Especially, I mean, especially if you have no background in Christianity or if you're a youth and you're like, dude, why are these people, if you just think about it for a second, why are these people all doing this weird thing? It's very strange, but the claim that the New Testament makes is that it is the normal experience of Christians to experience deep love and intimacy and closeness with an invisible God. And not only that, this is the way God addresses our loneliness. This is the way that we experience transformation and healing in our inner life, our emotional life, our mental life, our spiritual life. It is through a relationship with God, our father. So, like, this, there's this verse that has, always, um, that has always kind of, like, astounded me, and I think this verse really puts well what I'm saying. This is one of the strange, this is a very strange verse in the Bible. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. So, if you have your phone, turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, or if you don't want to, just listen to the words real quickly. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So Peter is talking to Christians, and he's saying, you have never seen God. And he's probably also saying, for many of them, you've never seen Jesus. Peter was an apostle. He had literally physically seen Jesus in in the flesh and walked around with him. But these people have never seen God. And though they have never seen him, you love him. He goes on, though you do not now see him. Now that's interesting because he's saying, I promise you that in the future you will see God face to face. And that's the amazing hope that we have to look forward to. But he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And then this is the phrase that gets me and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So now this is really, really interesting because he's talking about the emotional life of a Christian And he's saying, you don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him now. I don't see God right now. And yet the relationship I have with God is so, I mean, it's indescribable. It's so real. And God is so close. And I have this personal relationship with God. And I'll talk more about what this looks like. That you rejoice with joy inexpressible. I want you to think for a second about a time where you have been at a loss for words because you were so overjoyed about something. Can anyone think of an example of that? Like I'm actually asking, does anyone have an example? Like what's the last time you truly experienced joy? What do you think? I'm curious. Anyone? We're just generally joyless people, always sad, kind of mopey, depressive. What? Worship. Worship? That's such a Tammy answer. I'm not talking about. <laughs> I'm not t- <laughs> like like. Think of other examples. Like like. When's the last time you saw like a movie, and just in the experience of watching that movie, um, you experienced joy. Your inner life was like, you know, jumping with joy. You were so excited. You were having so much fun. Or like, it could be like reading a manga or an anime or like whatever. Any, any examples, any other examples? When the Warriors won the last basketball, but like, I'm I'm trying to think, what are other examples of experiencing joy? This is the very strange claim that Christianity makes. And what we're going to talk about today is kind of what this looks like. And so there, there are a few things that I want. I want this sermon to do to us. Um, number one, if you're sitting in the pews or you're sitting in these chairs, they're not pews here, but you're sitting in these chairs and you don't really know a lot about Christianity. Um, you have a certain impression of Christianity, what it's about, um, based on your relationship with your parents or based on reading the news or watching other Christians. Um, I want you to reconsider. Um, that I want you to consider that perhaps your view of what Christianity about, if it does not include this transformed emotional life as a result of a personal relationship with God, you probably don't understand very well what Christianity is. So like your parents make you go to church, your parents make you go to youth group, or for some reason you feel like you should go to church. Um, that, that is something you should do. That is something good. Uh, but if you think all churches is a bunch of people who like pretends like God is there and it's this really weird thing, or like you're, you go to church, your parents make you go to church. So you get good grades. So you're not as naughty. Like, so you do good stuff. You have good values. If that's all you think Christianity is, you don't understand it because you could never get that from the Bible. Like You could never get that if you were just to read the Bible at face value and the Bible's description of what Christianity is. Instead, I would say at the very heart of Christianity is this concept we've been talking about. Um, Dan preached the second uh, uh, past sermon on adoption. Christianity, um, one of the most amazing aspects of Christianity is this truth that when you become a Christian, you are adopted into the family of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what that feels like. We're going to look at how that changes your life holistically. And so I just want you to, like, if, if you think this is really weird, and I'm going to probably tell some weird stories, that's totally okay. Um, I just want you to know that that's what we're about. Um, it's about experiencing intimacy with our father as a child of God and our lives being totally changed by that. For those of you who may be, like, doubting, uh, for those of you who are unsure whether you're a Christian or not, um, or for those of you who already know that you are a Christian, what I hope is this can reorient you uh, and assure you that you are a Christian. And so these are kind of like signs that the Apostle Paul gives that can bring assurance about whether you actually know God or not. Um, So let me go ahead and read. uh, Let's go ahead and look at our passage from the book of Romans. Um, and so I'm just going to go through this very slowly and talk about each verse. And I mean, if you want three points, I could give you three points. Uh, like a child of God is someone who is led by the spirit. We're going to talk about that, what that means. A child of God is someone who cries Abba, Father, by the spirit. And a child of God is someone who has the, the Holy Spirit witness to your spirit that you are adopted, okay? Now these are all very kind of strange, subjective experiences, or most of them are relatively subjective. But this is kind of what it feels like to be led by God to experience a relationship with God. So I want to I want to go back to um, the experience I shared. Early on, and like, you know, Eric and Peter and the people who have been in youth group for a while have probably heard this one a million times, but I think it's important and illustrative of what we're talking about here. Um, This is my experience, one of my experiences with God, and this is the reason, one of the reasons why I am so desperate for you to know God as your heavenly father. Um, When I was a junior in high school, I was extremely depressed for a wide variety of reasons, And I was really struggling with school. I felt like my life was meaningless. I felt like I didn't have any direction. And as a result of that, there was a physics project. It was a roller coaster project. Um, Design a roller coaster and calculate the forces acting on the car at different points, blah, 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 speed, calculations, all that stuff. Um, Junior in physics, this project was worth half my grade. And it was the night before the project was due. And I decided I wasn't going to do the project. And so I was going to fail physics. And so I went outside into the pouring rain. And I had long emo hair. And I was melodramatic because that's just what I'm like. Um, and I sat in the rain because I was sad. And I was depressed. And I mean, it, like, I, it's kind of funny to me now because, I mean, do you guys have like, OK, for you older people, did you ever write journals in high school can you imagine going back and finding those journals and reading what your thoughts were like when you're in high school? <laughs> um, like, any anyone write love poetry before? Anyone have like very angsty journal or journal entries? I'm, we, we probably all do, and and that's it's really real. Like, you it, you really feel strongly during that time. Um, so I was sitting out in the rain, feeling hopeless, feeling depressed, and um, I was convinced that my life was over. And I had no purpose in living. And in that moment, all I knew how to do was say, God, help. And I cried out to God, like, help me, God. I don't know what to do. And then a strange thing happened to me. Um, A feeling came over me. And I don't really know how to describe it. But it was like God was communicating to me, not using words, But using like an impression, an emotional impression, and he basically was assuring me and saying, Daniel, I love you. It's gonna be okay. That's what it felt like. And then shortly after that happened, my dad came outside into the rain and he said, Daniel, it's gonna be okay. Come inside. I love you. And so my heavenly father and my earthly father at the same time were both confirming to me and both reassuring me that they loved me and that it was going to be okay. Now, I share this example because I would say that that is kind of like an illustration of how your emotional life changes when you have a relationship with God. And this happens in degrees where sometimes it's like a big in-your-face moment like, your feelings are, it's, it's just like God hits you over the head with a sense of his presence and his love. It can look like that. It can also be very, very normal and mundane, in a sense, where it's kind of like um, I'm reading a passage from Scripture, or I'm praying, or I'm singing a song, maybe like Tammy, she's singing a song using that example, and there's just like this quiet sense of peace, that comes from God in that moment. And it's not like my life is at a turning point and God, you have to show up or else everything's going to... No, it's a very normal, like, Monday morning I wake up and I wake up in the morning and I thank God and for creating a new day. And I thank God for my son, for my wife, for my puppy, for drinking coffee, for being outside in nature. Just a very quiet sense of God's presence with me Now, the other point I wanted to say about the story is um, my emotional life changed. My emotional life changed. It didn't mean I didn't feel depressed. It didn't mean I didn't still have senses of like a sense of um, life being hard or difficult or feeling hopeless at times. But that moment was kind of like, it was like a reminder forever, you know? It was a reminder forever to me that whatever I might be feeling at any given moment, God was present with me and he loved me and I could have hope for the future because he was with me. And what I want to suggest to you, and that made a huge difference. I mean, it totally changed the direction of my life. And I would say like, I am far less depressed now. I'm far less lonely. I'm far less angry and bitter. And my my thoughts are far less uh, negative than they were then. And that is not from anything I did. It's from God guiding me in the truth by his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit making real to me the truth of being adopted. And this is so, i like, I can't describe it. It is so powerful. It is such a powerful, amazing experience. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Daniel, you had that experience, but you're a pastor. You get like special, whatever experience. No, like if you were to ask, um, I, I, I actually guarantee I, I, okay. I don't know if I want to guarantee this, but I would, I would, I would bet that if you were to ask any person in our church who is a Christian, they would be able to share times where they have been assured by God. And it's been like a personal, intimate relationship. And it has changed their emotional life. It's changed how they live. So if you've never experienced that, what I want to say is, uh, when we say these truths about God, like God loves you, there is a big difference between intellectually knowing that truth or believing it even, and actually knowing God's love, knowing the person who loves you and experiencing it. Um, it is possible to believe all the right things about Christianity, but not to have this vital, intimate relationship with God that transforms your emotional life. It's very possible to do that. It's very possible to be interested in Christianity from like a philosophical or theological or historical perspective, where you're like, you know, Christianity has been an extremely important force all over the course of world events. Um, we live in America Christianity has been extremely formative for, like, the American legal system, uh, for a lot of the founding fathers, for the kind of moral sense of America. Like, you can't understand these things without understanding something about Christianity. But that's not what Christianity is. It's not just about your intellect, though that's important. Um, It is about this deep, holistic sense that you have a close relationship with someone. And I I remember um, we were having a vertigo, like, a while back, and there were a couple of guys who had come from China not too long ago, and they were um, they were kind of like checking out the group, and they were kind of asking, like, why do you believe in God? Like, what arguments do you have to believe in God? And, I mean, I thought about... If, if you want arguments, I could I could bore you with lots of arguments, the ontological argument. like they're, they're a big philosophical theological, but, but like what I when I thought about it, what I really said to them was, I believe in God because I talk to him every day. And I have like a personal subjective, and again, I could be wrong, I could be mistaken. Um, but I don't believe I am. and I don't believe all the people who have shared with me that they also have the same experience are making it up. I talk to God and I feel him talking back to me and leading me through scripture, through people around me, um, through this kind of inward leading and impression that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so I hope that that can kind of paint a picture. This is what it looks like to be a child of God. So let's go ahead and look at the passage and I'm going to unpack the three verses and we're going to see what each of these kind of assurances is like. Okay. so the first one. Verse 14, um, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So there are three, in this passage, three ways, three normal experiences that is true of every single Christian. And what I would say is, if you haven't experienced these, or if you're not sure if you have, um, you may or may not be a Christian, but I would just say, uh, once you experience these and you understand what these pas- this passage means, you can be more and more assured that you are a child of God. The first one is, "For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God." So there's this picture of being led by the Spirit, and this is a very strange phrase, uh, to be led by the Spirit. What does this mean? Uh, this is, if you look at verse thirteen. It says, "If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live." And I was, I was even like, like uh, debating whether to even like read that verse, but I think it's important. Let me let me just summarize it for you because I think it's confusing if you're not familiar with this passage. Um, what it means to be led by the Spirit can be illustrated through the Carrie Underwood song, "Jesus Take the Wheel." It's Carrie Underwood, right? Um, that missed like half, of, at least 95, <laughs> a large percent of the people that missed. That's okay. Um, so this song is a country song, and there's someone who's like driving on a road, and then like, oh no, the car like she loses control and the car is spinning around, and she's like, I can't control this car. Jesus, take the wheel. And she's like, Jesus, can you save me? Because my car is spinning around in a circle. Now, I would not recommend this. If you're taking it very literally like don't like instead you should say like Tesla autopilot take the wheel um, no the, the song works if it's metaphorical um, but when you're saying Jesus take the wheel what you're saying is um, I am so used to being the one who leads my own life I choose what I want to do and I do it or maybe there's someone else who is taking the lead in your life when you're a kid your parents are the ones who lead you. You have to do what they say a lot. And so they're the ones who are leading your life. And then often you you feel like, ah, you know, you're too stifling. Like, I want to take the lead in my life. I want to do what I want. Now, what this passage is saying is, if you are a child of God, the spirit is leading you. And this means that you have decided, and this could be in degrees. So um, when I think about my life, like there are I I know exactly what this is like. And I also know the opposite where I don't want God to take control of my life. And so what I would say is it's in degrees, but what I would say is you are a child of God and you can know you're a child of God if there is a part of you that feels open to God directing and guiding your life. And this takes place in very specific, tangible ways. So uh, one example I was thinking about was when the Spirit of God is guiding you, you find that you are uh, convicted of sin. And this is kind of a weird phrase, but let me just like, let me explain it using an example. Uh, when I became a Christian, um, not everything in my life changed overnight, but over time, God kept on pointing his finger at certain aspects of my behavior and thinking and feeling towards people that was, um, that was sinful, and he started to slowly address many of these issues I had. And at the heart of sin is not like, you have to avoid doing bad stuff. At the heart of sin is really like, I want my own way, and I, w- I will hurt any, like, anyone around me to get it. Like I, I don't care what, how it impacts other people, I'm just going to get what I want. And so one uh, kind of really dumb aspect that this came out in is when I would play sports. So I went to a a Bible school for one year in um, Estes Park in in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, really beautiful, like uh, more than a mile above sea level. It was at like 7,000 feet elevation. So you can imagine like cabins, like log cabins, big buildings, there's like a gym, it's snowing all the time. Uh, And a bunch of people were just reading the Bible together and like doing chores and chopping firewood. It was a really great time. Uh, But one thing we would do is we would play volleyball. And I, I don't think I'm especially good at volleyball, but I was better than other people. And what I found was often when I would play volleyball and other people wouldn't do what I wanted or like they would mess up, I would get so angry and I would start like insulting them and saying mean things to them. I was extremely discouraging, and I was just mean. And I was kind of cruel. And uh, honestly, the more I think about it, the more this had been like a persistent characteristic of my life. I would make fun of people like early on. I would bully people. I would do mean things to people, like even my best friend Sanyo, and I always tell a story. Um, I would play basketball with him. I would dribble around basketball all the time, love basketball. And then there is a thing in street ball, which I don't know, (laughs) called off the heezy. And all you do is you dribble the ball and you throw it off the person's face and you say off the heezy and then it bounces off their face and then you catch it again. And I would just, I'm serious. I would just walk around and I would just do this to my my best friend Sanyo and he's still my best friend. (laughs) I would just throw the ball off his face. It would bounce back and I would catch it that's messed up. I was not being a good friend, (laughs) but that, what was going on? I didn't care what he felt. I just wanted to do it. And I got some kind of weird pleasure from like causing pain in other people. And so at some point, God's spirit got my attention. And he said, you don't have to talk like that to people when you're playing volleyball. And I really felt the sense that, and, and there was a part of me that's like, but what if I want to? What if that person did just do something really dumb and we lost the game because of that? But I think what happened was was, there was also a part of me that allowed myself to be led by the spirit. And what that means is I was able to put to death my sense of insulting people and making fun of people. And so I'm not saying I'm perfect. I still get mad playing sports every once in a while. Um, But I'm different. I'm different. And it's the leading of the spirit. Uh, if you are a child of God, you will have experienced this in some way, where you, you are not at rest, you are disturbed in your spirit by ways that you hurt other people, um, or you are disturbed in your spirit by ways that you lie to people or, or uh, cheat or whatever it might be, and there is a sense of disease that happens in you as a result of that. If you've experienced that, and if there is an openness in you towards the Holy Spirit changing you in this way, that means that you are a child of God, and you can be assured of that. The first one is, those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For those of you who may not be a Christian, I don't know if any of that made any sense to you. It's very strange. So I I acknowledge that. Um, Hopefully, I'm giving you a picture of what it could look like. Um, But there really is the sense that an invisible God confronts me through, I mean, often it's through scripture. Sometimes it's through other Christians, but confronts my behavior and my actions and leads me in a different way. Um, I promise, even if you don't like me or even if you still think I'm annoying or mean, I'm far less mean and depressed than I was back then. And if you talk to any older person in this church, they will tell you, I was like the worst kid ever when I was in middle school, but I'm I'm very different now. I'm very different. I'm not perfect. Still, can be mean. Whatever. I'm very different. Um, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Do you know anything about what that's like? This is an inward spiritual experience, and it also is, um, and it's prompted by the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is saying. Will you go in this direction, or will you go in, uh, in your own direction? If you're open to surrendering, surrendering your life in some way to God, I would say that probably means you're a child of God. The next one. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, so when I was saying the Holy Spirit leads you, some of you might have been saying, um, okay, I know what this is all about. Um, God is kind of like a really controlling parent. And whenever he tells you to do something, you got to do it or else you get in trouble with him. And there's a sense of like, oh, you know, you disappointed me. You stole that donut. Then Now you're going to feel guilty and bad about it. Um, what's interesting is Paul knows you're thinking that. And so he says the next thing. Uh, what is not a characteristic of being a child of God? He says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What does it feel like inwardly to be a child of God? It does not feel like being a slave. It does not feel like being an employee who has a really unfair boss. Let me think about, let's think about the, what it would be like the emotional life of a slave. Um, what is it like to be a slave or to be an employee for a really mean boss? Uh, Number one, they don't really care about you. They care about how well you perform your task, right? If you have a really mean boss, all you are is you're just a cog in the machine. And the the degree to which you can help the company or help him or whatever or her or it might be, that is the degree to which you will get approval. But the moment you stop performing, you're gone like that. This is, like, this is like being a slave, right? If you think about during the Roman times, if you're a slave, you're someone's property. They don't care about you. They don't have any obligation to you. Um, honestly, they could just kill you whenever they wanted because you're their property. If you disobey them, if you give them a, a, a bad look, like you're gone. That's what it would be like to be a slave. And so you are constantly trying to meet the approval and you're kind of uh, walking on eggshells, scared that you won't mess up. Paul says that is not what it feels like to have a relationship with God. And this is like, this is a really big deal because if you have some interaction with Christianity, um, certain forms of Christianity, it can feel like that where people want to put guilt on you whenever you do something bad and there is no inward transformation. It's just behavioral expectations that are imposed upon you from the outside so you better keep in line. You better do the right thing. You better not drink. You better not do this. If, if you ever do that, we're going to kick you out of church. We're going to get really mad at you. We're going to give you a long lecture. God as a father is not like that. And to be led by the spirit is not like that. There's a passage in first John that I always, that really has impacted me. It says his commandments, God's commandments are not burdensome. They don't hurt you. When I follow God, It actually leads to freedom. So let me use the making fun of people example um, to illustrate this. Is it burdensome for me to stop making fun of people and alienating people in my life? Let's just imagine for a second if I kept on going in that direction, and I was just a jerk. Like, I was a jerk to everyone. I was a jerk to my wife. I was a jerk to my son. I was a jerk to everyone. Like, what would happen? What would be the result or the fruit of that behavior? It would be death to my relationships, and I would be alone because I would just be unbearable to people. I would just make fun of them. I would be like a nasty, spiteful person. And so this is the truth about whatever God says in scripture or however God leads in the spirit. He doesn't do it to harm you. He doesn't do it to burden you. He does it to free you. And so the degree to which you allow yourself to be led by the Spirit is the degree to which you experience joy and freedom and healing and transformation in relationships. I completely believe this to be true, and I've experienced it. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. If you are a Christian, you are a child of God, which means you never have to be afraid that God will cast you aside. He's never going to abandon you. It says earlier in chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what you do as a kid, no matter how much you mess up, your parent will never disown you. God will never disown you. You don't have to be afraid of that. You have a different motivation for obeying God that comes from actually valuing what he values, believing he's good, experiencing his love, and that's what spurs you to change the way you live. So let's look at the next part. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, so this is a different spirit that characterizes our inner emotional life. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. Earlier on, Dan used the example of Brandon Kindleberger and his son, Didier, who got adopted um, from Africa. And uh, this is kind of like the emotional life or inner life that comes from being adopted. You might have felt alone. You might have felt like no one cared for you. But then all of a sudden, someone chose you and brought you out of that loneliness into their family. And they're willing to sacrifice look after you, give you advice, you have a place to eat, you have a place to sleep, you have people who love you. That's the spirit of adoption. Your inward experience with God is, I have gone from being alone, purposeless, meaningless, um, experiencing all of those things, to God is with me and comforting me, and he is my Father who will never abandon me. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this is really interesting. I want you to pay attention to a couple things here. First, I want you to see the intensity of the emotion. When you are a child of God, you feel intensely love for God. You feel intensely love for God. And if you don't, if you never have, um, I'm not sure what's going on, okay? I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but I'm just not sure what's going on. Um, and different people experience this differently. People have different personalities and makeups. So maybe the way you experience intense emotion might be different than me. But let's just look at what it says. We cry, Abba, Father. And the word for cry here is like, I apologize in advance. Ah! It's like that. It's a cry. And it, it's, it's a loud emotional like shout. And it really has that sense where when you have received the adoption of sons, you cry intense inward emotions towards God. What do you cry? You cry, Abba, Father. And the word Abba here is, an, I mean, it's like, it's an Aramaic word. But what it, what it means is like, we all know what this means. Uh, my son, Toby, can't talk yet. But when he starts talking, he won't be able to say, Daniel Gillum, my father. You know, he, he, like, please, Daniel Gillum, can you please bring me some, unless he's really, really smart, which, I mean, I don't know. we'll see. Um, <laughs> but what he probably would say is he probably would say, Dada, or Baba, or Abba. So, so this is just like a term that like infants, young babies, use to address their parents when they aren't yet able to use words. And you want some linguistics here? Um, in all cultures, these uh, there, uh, there's, kids don't have teeth, and so there are certain sounds they can't make. Like, kids cannot make a t sound, because you have to use teeth to make a t sound. So instead, they have to use a, ba, da, da. Like, you don't need your teeth for that. Um, so every culture has this kind of form where the kids address their parent. What does that feel like? When you're a kid and you call Dada, you confidently expect that he will or she will give you what you need. And there's a sense of deep intimacy and sometimes there's desperation, but it's like, I'm so hungry, can you please help me? That's the spirit you have if you are a child of God. And if you don't know anything about what that's like with God, the Father, then I would question whether you're a Christian or not. And if you're not a Christian, like that's totally okay. Um, but I'm, all I'm saying is this is the emotional experience you can look forward to if you put your trust in Jesus. Do you remember when I was sitting out in the rain? What did I cry? I basically cried, Abba, Father. Like, God, help me. And I cried it out. It was this deep emotional cry because I needed God to intervene and to help me in this situation. We cry, Abba, Father. That is the normal experience an inner cry of Christians and children of God? So let me, let me ask it in a different way. First one, are you led by the Spirit? Second one, by the Spirit, do you know something about what it's like to say, God, you are my Father, and God, I love you? Have you ever experienced that sort of intimacy and joy in your relationship where you could say to God, God, I love you, my Father, my Baba, my Abba, my Dada, and you are that close? This is what's normal. Paul assumes that every single child of God will, by the Holy Spirit, cry out, Abba, Father. And then the final one um, is one of the most strange but also amazing um, passages that we see here. The the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Um, So, The phrase I want you to pay attention to is the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. This is a really incredible, I'm like, I'm so uh, in awe of this truth. Uh, There are many times where we don't feel the love of God. There are many times where we have doubts. There are many times where God feels far and we're like, God, where are you? Why can't I... Taste and see your goodness. Why do I feel so cold towards you? But this passage here says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So the image here is a courtroom. And the word witness, you get get that from the word witness, bears witness. So I don't know, like, I kind of hate to do this, but um, I think on the internet, people are following the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. And what happens, I don't know if anyone cares about that, but, like, you're in a courtroom, and let's pretend that I'm, like, I'm uh, being accused of something. And then a witness comes up and says, I'm being accused of what's dramatic, murder. Like, Daniel, you murdered this person. And then another defense witness comes up, and they bear witness, and they say, that's impossible, because Daniel was watching the basketball game with me at 8.32 p.m. on Friday night. They're witness. And so what's so incredible about this passage is Paul is saying in every moment of our life, the, the regular experience of a child of God is that you are not the only one who is, test, who is crying out to God. It's not just I cry out to God. It's that the Spirit of God himself convinces and assures your spirit that you are a child of God. This is so incredible. And this is where the first Peter passage where it says, you have not seen him, but you love him. You do not now see him, but you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is what this experience feels like. And again, I think if you talk to any Christian who has been a Christian for a while, they will have experiences like this, where God's spirit comes out of nowhere You're feeling down or even you might be happy um, or you might like whatever it might be. But God's spirit says this truth to you and makes it real to the point where you feel it. You are a child of God. I love you. I will never leave you. You don't have to be afraid. You can have hope for your future because I and, and okay, even when I just said that me saying it is very different than the spirit doing it unless the Spirit is also confirming what I'm saying to you in your inward being. This is the emotional life of a Christian where God doesn't leave us alone ever. His presence is with us, and he strategically reminds us of the truth and makes it emotionally real to us in the moments we need it most so that we can continue to trust him. And so I want to end with this image. Um, My favorite preacher, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a scholar of the Puritans. And the Puritans were those, I don't know, like whatever. Okay, there's a Puritan who gave this illustration of the witness of the spirit that I really, really love. And now that I'm a father, it means even more to me. So imagine you are a father and you are walking your son through a park and you're holding his hand. That is the presence of God always with you. God is always holding your hand in every situation. And by faith, we can believe that's true, no matter how we might be feeling. But every once in a while, the dad just feels overcome with joy for his son. And I know what this is like as a dad. I just look at Toby, and I just want to hug him. And so what the dad does is the dad grabs his son, throws him up into the air, and just gives a huge bear hug and says, son, I love you. He hugs his son. And that's what it's like, the witness of the spirit. Where there are moments in your life where you need this emotional assurance from God that he loves you. And the Holy Spirit is so faithful to give you that hug. Do you guys know what this is like? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? This is so incredible. This, this has happened to me many, many times. And I'm not going to share like a bunch of stories. But it's so bizarre. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, Paul says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And then he goes on to say, um, peace that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace beyond understanding. Peace that surpasses understanding. Peace that doesn't make sense. This is the witness of the spirit in your life. I've been in times like, you know, I'm in a fight with Ashley or there are times when I'm so discouraged, I'm so tired, I'm so weary, I feel so like whatever it might be. And in that moment... What I often pray is, God, I need encouragement. I know, I believe, I trust you love me, but right now I really could use a special hug from you. Can you hug me right now? And God has done this in such a wide variety of ways. Um, So one of the ones that I always love to share is um, often when I feel... um, empty and drained. I go to the baylands in East Palo Alto, which is like an estuary. So there are a lot of birds. Um, there, It's like this open nature thing. And I just like walk by the, by the water and there are ducks and like all kinds of stuff. It's really beautiful. And I just remember um, I would go there to enjoy God and remember this truth of him with me. And I remember that there's this one time I, used, I always have loved birds. So when I was a kid, my favorite bird was the peregrine falcon, because the peregrine falcon could dive down at, at people estimate, 200 miles per hour. It was one of the fastest birds in existence. So peregrine falcons were super duper cool. I loved bald eagles. I loved hawks, all these different kinds of birds. So I was walking home, um, walking back to the car in, in the Baylands, and um, I looked up in the sky, and i saw a gigantic bird with white head plumage and that was all black except for the white plumage and i was like is that a bald eagle but no it can't be because they're endangered and so i walked closer and i looked and there were actually two guys with like the the gloves to, for the bird to land at on and they were from some kind of like nonprofit wilderness thing and they actually had a bald eagle and they were like taking on a walk, metaphorically, right? It's like, oh, the bald eagle wants to stretch its wings. So they go to the Baylands and let it fly. And, and I was like, God, you did that for me. I, you know what I love and you just arranged it so that I would be able to see this bald eagle and feel your hug. And that was so incredible to me because it was so particular to me. This is what the witness of the Spirit is like. I don't, I don't know, like. I don't know what this looks like for you. Your personalities are very different, probably very different than mine. Some of you are similar, some of you are different. And so what the Holy Spirit does to witness to your spirit could look like a wide variety of things. So I'm not trying to say it's always going to look the same. But what I'm saying is, if you are a child of God, you will know something of this joy. This joy of the witness of the Holy Spirit reminding you that you are a child of God. And he does this in his perfect timing, in the moments where you really, really need it. Do you know what this is like? If you know what this is like, I want to assure you that you are a child of God. No matter how it might feel right now, no matter what you might be going through, this is the type of intimacy and closeness that you can have in your relationship with God. And honestly, you will have as you walk with him, as you let him lead you. And so I want to challenge you. What is your attitude towards God right now in this moment? Are you open to his leading? Are you willing to say, God, I repent of the way I've been living. I repent of living my life on my own terms and totally ignoring you and neglecting you. I want to be led by you. And then once you do that, um, in the story of the prodigal son, the moment you repent and turn back, the father has open arms for you, ready to hug you and welcome you back into the family. And this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not just a system of right propositions or beliefs. It is that, but it is far more than that. It is intimacy with God. And it is this deep impression. It's weird. I don't understand it, but I feel it to be true and it, to be real. And I've talked to many other people who have experienced the same thing. This is what is at the heart of being an adopted child of God. It is to know that God loves you and will never leave you. It's you crying out in your heart that God is your father. And it's the witness of the Holy Spirit making real to you this truth by encouraging you and speaking truth to you and guiding you in the ways that you most need it. Um, I pray that we would all, this, even this today, even this week, be led by the Spirit, cry out to our Father, and experience the witness of the Spirit in ways that would encourage us. Let's pray. Um, Dear Lord, um, I thank you for your Spirit who bears witness to us that we are your children. I pray that you would make this truth real to our hearts in the ways that we need um, and give us these incredible, inexpressible uh, reminders of your truth, uh, full of glory, And that this would spur us on to uh, follow you, that this would really remind us of how much you love us as our Father. Um, And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to feel your hug and just respond with joy and praise and gratitude for how good of a Father you are to us. Holy Spirit, make it real to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.